Hey there, welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and we have a really special show today. We are talking about the impact of business on relationships. And I am really fortunate to have Dan Paulson uh, with me today, remotely, of course. Um, Dan is the is a business consultant and also has his own company. Uh, Dan is CEO of IDI, that's Envision Development International. Dan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Perfect. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, before we, you know, business, unfortunately, um, you know, money is an issue in relationships, uh, whether people like it or not. It can be a, a big stressor point. Um, it can uh, end a lot of relationships. And if people arm themselves and work uh, on the financial issues uh, related to businesses, um, they can improve not only their business, but also uh, their personal relationships. And that's where uh, what we're going to talk about. Um, so, Dan, uh, I'd love to just dive in and for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And again, thank you for having me on. Uh, when you posted about you know what the theme for this podcast was going to be, I'm like, I have to be part of this because of so much of what I deal with with clients as far as you know how they manage themselves, how they manage their business, and, and most importantly, how they manage their personal relationships and how all these things are intertwined. But what I am is, I guess you could say I'm an executive coach and consultant. I work primarily with business owners who have either started their own business or maybe they bought a business and for a number of years have, have been successful in growing it. The problem they tend to run into, though, is, is they get frustrated with the success that they're not achieving. And, and what I mean by that is the business might be growing, it might be profitable, but they find themselves so wrapped up in the day-to-day -day operations that it's almost impossible to get away. And, and when you and I talked about this, uh, you know, before we decided to do this podcast, it really was about, um, you know, the challenges that, that these folks face because they have to keep the business going because that ultimately supports their lifestyle and their significant other's lifestyle. But there's more to it than that. There's a lot more of a personal uh, you know, relationship that's tied to this. And they're impacted by the fact that they have the needs of their, their clients, they have the needs of their employees, and that often interferes with the needs of their family. And I see it time and time again where, you know, I'm introduced to somebody and sometimes it's the significant other that actually brings me in uh, to help them out because the the husband or the wife, the person who's not directly enrolled in the business is so darn angry because they don't get any free time with their spouse. Uh, yeah. they, they are dealing with, you know, emails and phone calls. Vacations aren't vacations because the, the other person can't separate themselves from whatever tool they're using to communicate with their office staff. So I spend a lot of time really developing the infrastructure around these leaders so that they know that the work will get done, they know it will get done the way they want it to, and they will often see greater results because of it, greater sales, greater profitability, and ultimately that leads to a greater lifestyle. They get to spend time with their family. They get to spend time with their children. They get to go on a vacation and actually relax. I mean, when wow. was the last time that you experienced that? Right. So it's really, to me, very important that we talk about this subject and get people to realize that while you know making money is wonderful, having a su successful business is great, sometimes that's not the end-all be-all. 
and you need to figure out how to balance that and modify your approach to leadership, to you know your staff, to sales, whatever it might be, so that you're going to be more successful in what you do as a 360 approach, not just looking at the business. Sure. And so it's really, I laugh when you were telling, when you were explaining it, and as a lawyer, and most lawyers, they we just don't know how to turn off. And um, it is so obvious, you know, when you look, you know, as an outsider looking in, you hear about it. And I laugh because I, I know that that's me, you know, and it does impact relationships, uh, whether you like it or not, it's, it's impacting. And I understand, yes, you want to, you need to be hardworking and you need to devote your time to clients um, or your, um, the, you know, for sales, what have you. And it just, it translates to any type of business. Um, ultimately, if you are neglecting somebody else, it's <laughs> going to impact your personal relationship. And more often than not, I see that in cases. So how, how, what do you, how do you deprogram somebody who's not used <laughs> to, you know, because I can't remember the last time I turned off my phone completely. <laughs> and I, we, we often joke, oh, my God, my phone's about to die. And um, Christina is the first person to say those are the, her most favorite words. <laughs> you know? So what, how do you tell a small business owner whose livelihood depends on their devices and being in contact with individuals and people mm -hmm. and their sales team and their employees, how are you arming them with the tools to make, to use your word, providing a balance? Right. It's a challenge. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I think any high performer, whether you're a lawyer, whether you are a manufacturer, whether you are a, any sort of service provider, whether you are a coach, it's difficult when your role is to help you know grow expand make more profitable whatever it might be so really it's channeling that performance into where it's meant to be as a business owner which is looking at the vision of the company focused on new opportunities new strategies which can be done anywhere and doesn't require a phone or uh, any sort of you know communication device all the time the problem that we have is that most business owners lack trust and lack confidence that their teams can do what's necessary to get the job done. And I think we talked about this before the call. You know, we, we get so confident in our abilities to close sales or to improve the business that we, when we see handing that off to somebody else, we don't see them doing it the same way we would. Now, that doesn't make it wrong. It just means they're not doing it our way. And a lot of times we interpret that as wrong. So then we watch them do it, or that maybe they don't do it perfectly the first time. Then we throw it back on our plate. And in the process of trying to let it go, we've also added three other things to the plate. So now we got more to do. Plus, we're doing the stuff that we were trying to hand off. And that's wow. usually what I hear from most business owners is, my ability to hand stuff off and trust people are going to do the job the way I need them to do it, it just isn't there. And that stems from effectively communicating, effectively delegating, effectively following up. And most people think they delegate, but they really don't. They just hand projects off. They never communicate how they should be done or what the expected outcome is. And then they get too worried about the minutia 
of how to do it. So they're worried about steps one through 10 instead of worrying about, well, when we get to step 10, we should achieve this result. I don't care what the steps are to get there. That's your job to figure that out. And if it's not efficient, then we will work together to figure out how to make it more efficient and put systems in place so that we can do it consistently. As a business owner, it's hard to spend the or make the investment to do that with somebody else because we're so enrolled in our companies and so enrolled in what we do. It's like muscle memory. We can just do it. Mm -hmm. When you're teaching somebody else that skill, that's where coaching takes over. That's where you need to essentially impart your knowledge on somebody else, but they still have to go through the process of the lifting and the figuring it out and making the mistakes and, and you know trying to understand what the outcomes are going to be. And most business owners I know, again, high performers, just don't have the patience to let that happen. So my role is to help kind of slow things down, if you will, at times, sure. and get the patients there. Show them small steps on how they can get to the goals that they want instead of the large leaps that they try to make because they want everyone to take things over and they expect within a week that this person's going to be as good as they are. Now, subconsciously, they know that's not true. But the reality is, again, if, if we're trying to hand off work, we want that work to be done as well as we could. And we expect that to happen in a very short period of time where it might take weeks or months, depending upon how complex the tasks are and how new that person is to the company. So it's really about creating that balance of teaching, training, coaching, mentoring, and really getting that owner to understand what their true role is in the company and what they're currently doing, which is usually they're the technician that's in-depth working on the day-to-day -day operations and putting out the fires and not developing the skill sets within their team. And I, you know, and all of these, these buzzwords and these phrases that you're saying, the communication and response, delegating responsibility and even having just open communication about responsibility, it really, it just completely translates to like what a marriage council would be saying to <laughs> spouses, you know, um, one person wants to talk about an issue and the other person, not that they don't want to, they're just not used to talking about what they may feel is maybe minutia or not as important, or just maybe it's assumed and mm -hmm. they're just not as equipped to communicate about things as let's say their spouses. And if they just had a, like a sit down if they, or if they were at a restaurant when they were able to go to restaurants and just sitting over the kitchen table or at the, you know, dinner, um, saying, Hey, listen, I want to talk about this. When is a good time for us to talk about this? And let's figure out who's going to be responsible for this and who's going to take care of that. And it, it seems like it's, it's, it's virtually one and the same in the business arena as it is uh, in home life. And, you know, us as matrimonial lawyers, we always say, you know, it's so important going into a relationship, you know, just like when we talk about uh, if we, if the need for a prenup, uh, have open lines of communication. What is your expectation in the relationship? What is his or her relationship expectation? And that keeps, you know, evolving as the relationship goes on. And I, I believe that's the same, that same holds true for uh, in a closely held business where, you know, there's individuals, you are, you're a team leader and you are expecting something from your employees. If you're not 
effectively communicating, then there's certainly going to be a disconnect at some point. Well, and we are, we're definitely not taught how to communicate. You know, there, there's nothing that you go to grade school or even high school or even college for that really teaches you how to effectively handle conflict. We're taught how to speak publicly, but that's one way communication, right? That's, that's right. giving, uh, giving knowledge or imparting knowledge on a large group of people. When it comes down to how you handle simple conflicts, um, basically we learn that from what we see from our parents. And if our parents are really good at it, they might impart those skills on us. If our parents really suck at it, we got some work to do. And right. unfortunately, as we grow up, as we get older and as we mature, that gets harder and harder to do. And we, we take it for granted that everyone communicates the same way we do. Well, that's, this couldn't be further from the truth. There's Everyone has different needs when it comes to communication. Everyone has different learning styles. And whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a business setting, you need to figure out how to balance those styles out so that way your message gets across. It's not only what you say, it's, it's what's understood and then what feedback you get to know that that's understood. Sure. And a lot of times we just don't take the time for that. We don't take the time for that in personal relationships. We don't listen to what's being said between the lines because most of the time it's communicated. It's just not put out there for all the world to see. It's, and my wife and I are just as guilty of it. There can be some passive aggressive stuff going on. And I've gotten, you know, after about 25 years, I've kind of figured out when she says this, okay, I know she's not happy about that. I need to change something or I need to do something to address that. So, you know, over time, hopefully you figure it out, but uh, it takes a lot of self-awareness. Sure. And that's often what's missing with us is we're so enrolled in what's going on around us that we kind of get those blinders on. We, you know, we get so hyper-focused on what we believe the problem is that we don't see the other problems that, that, that creates or filters up around us. I love that you brought up your wife and your relationship there. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> certainly, you How know, long is this again? We yeah, might be here. I might have to go up and get her because she might need a, a long couch for this. Well, that would be great. That could, that could be another podcast right there. Um, so I'd love for you to share for the listener, like, so um, I'm, I decide I'm going to bring you in as a coach. So the concepts, they sound great. And uh, it, it, it just makes sense, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of things make sense when you hear it, but then trying to put it into action. And, you know, like we said before, it's kind of hard to deprogram someone who is used to doing something a certain way. So what I'm curious about, and I'm sure the listener is curious, is now we bring in Dan Paulson and we present him to our, our team. And Dan is going to help uh, or you're going to coach. Are you coaching like from the sidelines? Or are you coming into the business and are you doing, are you observing um, how, let's say, a boss is interacting with, uh, you know, their team members, or are you just having one-on-one -on -one sessions with, like, explain to me how it would work. Well, it, it could work a number of different ways. What's that? Um, it could work a number of different ways. So, you know, much as, you know, as you practice law, different clients have different needs. You have to approach things based on 
you know, what you observe or what you see working, what you see not working is very similar to what I do. Um, there is no one size fits all. There is no cookie cutter approach. God, I wish there was because it would make my life a lot easier if I could say, here's the playbook, let's step in right. and this is what you need to do. Really, it comes down to is observation from my part. So me coming in as the grand inquisitor, asking a number of questions, getting feedback from the business owner. What are his stress points? Where is he frustrated? How is that impacting his business? How do his people work with him, work around him, work through him? And getting a better understanding of all that. So it might end up where, yes, I'm just working one-on-one -on -one with the business owner. Often what tends to happen, though, is I work not only with the business owner, but I work with his senior leadership team. I really don't drop much below, again, those, those critical pieces at the top of the at top of the leadership team because they're the most influential on making change happen. If you talk to mid-level or frontline managers, and I've worked with them, what they will often tell you is that I would love to do all the things that you're talking about, but you need to fix my boss first. So I'm a big believer in it starts at the top and works its way down. So if we fix the issues happening at the top, it will cascade through the organization, which is often much more effective. It makes change happen that much quicker and you get better results from it because as people see their leaders actually doing walking the walk and talking the talk they start following suit it's very hard when you're the frontline staffer and you're trying to make these changes happen but your boss isn't doing sure. what they need to do so mm -hmm. we, we keep it at the top level um it's very rare that i even work with the middle and frontline anymore just because working with one to five people at the top can really make the most impact on the business. And it's a long-term process. I, I tell people, you know, we're going for incremental change, not monumental change. Sure. Most people want to snap their fingers or wave a magic wand and make all the problems go away. Well, again, if that was the case, you and I would be sitting on an island. I'd invite you out and, you know, we'd be staying somewhere much, much warmer than right now. The reality is that that's not how things are going to work. So you have to look at what changes can you make and when? Where are the biggest hiccups and how can we slowly fix those? And a lot of times, again, that's through simple communication tactics. It might be instead of making statements, ask more questions. It might be uh, a manager or a, a senior leadership person looking at a situation and asking the people that are actually involved in it, what's going on, what's working, what's not, what can we improve and getting them enrolled and engaged in the solution. Mm -hmm. which a lot of times, again, is directed from top down. They have a belief of how things should work. Sometimes it works out well, many times it doesn't. And they constantly battle with the change process. Change is also a roller coaster. You know, it's really exciting in the beginning to work with somebody and think that all your problems are going to be fixed. It's not so exciting six months down the road when some of those problems are still persisting and it may even seem like you've taken two steps backwards. The reality is that change is going to happen at its own pace, you have to be diligent about making that change happen though. And sometimes problems can be fixed in a matter of weeks. Sometimes it takes six months to a year. Sometimes it takes longer. It really, again, depends on what you're willing to let go of, what you're willing to change yourself and how consistent you are about making that change happen. And if we can keep the consistency up and you're actually taking strides in the right direction, that's what speeds up the whole process. So I would look at something and you know, we break down a problem into the simplest parts. And if, if one of those steps, for example, is in order for you to delegate, you have to figure out what you want. What's the outcome you want to create? Let's start there. Can I get you to communicate with your team exactly what you want? Now, 
ask the team the question, how do we get there? Mm. Now listen, now ask questions if they're going down the wrong path. So it's, it's taking little steps to kind of help teach them how to guide others and influence decisions so that they're getting the results they want. Maybe it's not quite the way they want them, but they're at least getting closer to their goal. I get it. Yeah, it's great. And I just want, I want to be clear here uh, for the people listening. We're not talking about, this is not, Dan Paulson's not coming in just because there's, let's say a problem per se, you know, we're talking about transition, divorce, there's transition doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. You mm -hmm. could be bringing in a business coach because you've got so much work and you need to manage it and you need to manage it in a way so that you're not losing that new business or main you're maintaining the old business. Uh, so you just need to change to your point, the infrastructure and maybe do better delegation. And Dan Paulson's coming in to help coach you to manage what really the success that you're building to just make it look something different, right? Um, yeah. You've I, actually pointed out these are, you know, these are good things. Bringing it's not yeah. bringing in Dan because oh my God, I have something bad. I want to be clear, you know, it's having a coach doesn't there's not there's no negative connotation these are this is something great this is an opportunity to make your entity so much better than it already is yeah actually all my clients right now they're successful they were successful before they hired me they'll be successful long after i'm gone sure what they were running into though is is their there was a plateau of success that they had reached in other words they they knew how to get to where they were at what they didn't know was how to cross that plateau and get to that next step up, that next level up, whatever that might be. So that's where the hiccups were coming in. And again, a lot of that is tied to the fact that they're, you know, they they started the company. They did this stuff. They were very hands-on in the beginning. And now here they are 10 years later, they're supposed to have other people doing it, but they still are getting their hands dirty in the wrong ways. So what I'm doing is I'm coming in and showing them a new path, a new way through, and teaching them how to better utilize the resources that they have in front of them. And, and many of those resources are the human beings that work for them. Correct. And often those people are treated not as assets to the company, but they're an expense line item and they're just a, a tool to get something done. Well, that's, you know, I, you don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to be treated that way. I guarantee anyone who's going through a divorce somewhere along the line, their significant other was treated that way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in this situation. So it's really about how you balance out and create a culture of of inclusion and autonomy and, and really develop the skills necessary so that people feel valued and feel like they're part of a greater purpose. Because everyone wants purpose. Everyone wants to be listened to and everyone wants to be liked. Well, if you can create that in your organization, you'll watch turnover drop. You'll you'll become the the hiring place of choice. People will actually seek you out to work with your company if you give people an opportunity to grow. And a lot of companies miss that. And I think a lot of relationships miss that too. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. <laughs> um, so explain if and i know you said it's all by on a case-by-case -case basis um if you can just explain how you operate vis-a-vis -vis, you know payment structure um so if somebody was looking to uh, retain your services what what would it look like to them sure 
Uh, you know, the biggest thing is, again, this is something that takes time. It's not going to be fixed in a couple weeks or a couple months. So with all my clients, I ask for a minimum of one year commitment up front. That's a lot for people. Most people, you know, we, we want to try it. We want to kick the tires. We want to see if it's the right fit. I really want to do the work up front and determine if this is somebody I can work with on my side, if I can coach them and if they are coachable. Once we've made that determination, it's okay, you're in or you're out. Either answer is fine, but waffling in the middle is going to get to a result that you're not going to be happy with. Because if you're just going to try this and see if it works, after three or four months, there's going to be a point of frustration where you're going to say, ah, it's not doing what I want it to and, and I, want to, I want to cancel out. The people that stick with it, especially through that first year, we make major change in their organization. We make major change in their life. And, and I'll give you an example. I was working with a company, uh, good, successful family-run business, husband and wife team. Uh, wife came in like a few years earlier and she handles kind of much of the office and, and the project management stuff internally. And she was actually the one that hired me because she was so frustrated that they couldn't get away. They couldn't go on vacation without coming back to a huge fire. Some sort of mess would pop up and they right. would regret leaving every time. They also have a special needs child. So compound on top of trying to manage a successful business between the two of them, they have internal needs that, you know, there's somebody that needs more care than normal. And we worked together for a year, better than a year actually. And at about six months, the, the husband was frustrated. It just didn't seem like things were going as fast or getting as far as they wanted it to be. And I just explained to him, you know, we are at a turning point. You may not see it, but we have made changes that are starting to be adapted. Your frustration is they haven't been adapted fast enough. But if we give it a little bit more time, I think you're going to see a completely different company when we come out the other side. And sure enough, fast forward to about 10, 12 months into it, they go on vacation. They actually go to a trade show and they decide to stay a full week instead of stay just the two days for the trade show. They were expecting to come back where they were going to have to work the weekend in the office to play catch up and fix you know, whatever broke while they were gone. And here's what they came back to. They came back to an email that laid out everything that happened during the week and what their team did about it wow. to the point where they did not have to go into the office. They just said, this is great. They went home and relaxed for the next two days and got ready for the work week you know, the following Monday. That would have never happened 12 months earlier had they not stuck to the course. And that's really what it's all about. It's making those minimum changes along the way and empowering your people and letting them know what your expectations are and then giving them the tools to be successful with it. So the change was they were able to go on vacation, have a great time, turn the phones off, leave the iPads or laptops put away. And when they came back, there was nothing to come back to. In other words, everything was working great. They didn't have to go in and put out any fires. They didn't have to fix anything. They didn't spend the next month correcting all the problems that were created. They came back to an efficiently running company that was still making money and still profitable, even without them being there. And the, so the irony there is now, and listen, it's not often that the wife is working in the, in the entity, which is a whole other topic that- Yeah, we can spend recently. days talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so, so you're there to fix the, the company, but in turn, you are fixing also improving 
drastically that personal relationship. And the happier that person is who's running the business at home certainly has to have a positive impact. And so it's circular. And the beauty, I love how you, you know, maybe, you know, when a business owner hears a year commitment, oh my God, the cost, but um, it's a, it, it's that there's a commitment just there, right. just showing the commitment is, um, I think, a testament on many levels and really shows that they're committed to making the necessary changes. A lot right. of stuff sounds great in practice, but until you roll up your sleeves, and it's also, it, it, it's an indication to you that this person is really serious in taking my advice. Yeah. Well, when when there's no place to go but forward, that's, that's really a sign that, that they're going to commit to it. You know, businesses are used to spending money on equipment, spending money on cars. I mean, you know, some of my clients spend hundreds of thousand dollars on a piece of machinery. Right. Well, aren't you committing to that piece of equipment? You're right. figuring that equipment's going to give you a useful life of 5, 10, 20, 30 years. You've gone all in on that because you see the benefit of, of what that will provide you. Now, it's it's always harder with intangible goods, right? You know, our services, just that. you can't yeah. hold them, you can't feel them, you can't see them, taste them, touch them. So it gets a little bit more tricky that way. I think that's why people tend to be more hesitant. It's also, again, going back to that, that confidence and trust. You have to be confident in your abilities or your willingness to make this change happen. And you have to trust that you are going to stick to the stick to the process. You're going to follow through. And that's a big commitment because I'm asking them to do much of the heavy lifting. And, and heavy lifting doesn't mean physical heavy lifting. It means a lot of mental lifting. You know, you were talking about, well, a lot of the things we talk about comes full circle. And, and I truly believe that, you know, when it comes to communication and understanding human behavior and how people work, that all transfers to your personal life. So, yeah, I, I'm not a marriage counselor or, or anything like that. But a lot of what you're working on when you're dealing with employees and handling conflict there can apply to your relationships, whether it's with your children or with your wife huh. or with any other member of your family. You have to choose to use it as that. And, and that, I think, is the, the side benefit of the work that I do is, is once they start understanding these skills, they know how to apply them their life. And that ultimately is, leads to a positive change that they can you know, carry with them forever. So... Huh where a piece of equipment will eventually wear out. The things I teach you are, are everlasting if you apply that. Sure. Uh, so it's such a great analogy. Um, so now, you know, we're living in a remote world. And um, for, I know we, we talked about this and touched upon this uh, briefly uh, the other day. Can, like if someone were to call you and let's say they're not in, um, where you are, are you able to do this coaching and consulting remotely? Actually, for the most part, I've been doing it remotely for the last 15 years. I'd say Great. about at one point it was probably about half my clientele. Now, obviously with, with the pandemic, it's been everybody, but even within the last 12 months, most of my clients, actually I've worked with them via phone or via zoom, you know, much like we're talking here, uh, I don't need to be on site. A lot of the things that we are working on as a team 
are again the behavioral issues. I, I'm not going to come in and fix a piece of equipment for you. Right. In some cases, I might even know how to do that, but that doesn't mean I'm going to show up on your doorstep to do that. You've got other professionals that handle those issues. It really is about communication, and to me, that can be handled over the phone. It can be handled, you know, via video conference, whatever it might be. It also allows me to again work with the team on a remote basis and really kind of pull the team together. You know, as many people are not only not working um, in the office, but you know, they, they might not be coming together as a group anymore. And that's right. a big challenge when you, everyone's working from their, their own office space. And at some point we're gonna see that there's probably gonna be at least a hybrid where people are gonna work together because we do need that bonding. We, de we need that team effort. And that's hard to do when all you are is, is squares on a screen, you know, like the Brady Bunch. You really do have to kind of balance that out. But sure. for what I do, um, the nice part is I can do it from anywhere. And and that has been the huge benefit with a lot of the clients that I work with is you know, it's a lot more cost effective if I don't have to be on sure. site every week, if we can just do this via phone. And it allows you to get back into the into the game once we're done talking. You can just jump right in and do what you need to do. Sure. So I actually I encourage people to to do more of a virtual approach. If there is a situation where I need to come on, I, I'm happy to do that. But I have in the last 15, 16 years have yet to see a, a purpose for it. Yeah, I think that's great. Has um you know, and listen, we see this all the time. Uh, certainly the pandemic has created a lot of stress in relationships and uh, home life. Um, there's a lot of domestic violence. Um, and so my question is, from the business perspective, you know, there's certainly the obvious business perspective and how the economy has been hit. But um, can you speak to how like some of your clients, how they've been impacted uh, as a result of the pandemic and how you've been able to help them pivot? Sure. Um, you know, I've been fortunate that really most of my clients saw a blip, I would say, you know, so about mid-March when everything happened and, and, you know, most places just completely shut down for about two months, everyone felt it. Because if you couldn't do anything, you know, you were pretty much sitting there spinning your wheels. Um, but that was short-lived. Most of my clients by the end of the year had either almost recouped everything that they would have lost in those two months or even excelled and exceeded what they were going to do. Right. So uh, I was fortunate with the people that I was working with. We were able to kind of maneuver around this fairly quickly. Uh, I had seen it coming along back in February, I was already giving warnings to people, you know, based on what I'm hearing in the news, you need to have these action plans in place. You need to be ready to maneuver uh, should the government come in and say, you can't open your doors for the next couple of weeks. And, and we were more prepared for that than I think some other companies were because I was already communicating to them, they needed to make those changes happen. Now, coming out the other side, again, it was getting creative with how do we address the needs of the customer or the client. I have a number of people that are in private practice medical. So it wasn't all for me in that case because they had their associations that were also giving protocols and, on how to do things. But we we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what are those hands off with handoffs with patients? You know, when do you bring people into your facility? How do you exit them out and, and minimize contact, all of that? 
Um, with manufacturing, most cases in manufacturing, you already have separation. You know, somebody's working right. on a machine or on a production line. You don't have to worry about that. It's really just more or less making sure that their airflow, there's the right safety procedures in place, and and that's okay. Um, the hardest businesses to work for were the ones that were in real estate, primarily, um, you know, family rental properties, things like that, because there was a lot of, uh, you know, communication by the different state governments that you didn't have to pay your rent. Yeah. Well, paying your rent, not paying your rent now, doesn't mean you never have to pay your rent. And it also mean that rent continually accumulates. Well, the longer it accumulates, it just becomes into a bigger pile that you'll never recover from. And, you know, we'll talk about that when that finally hits the wall. But, um, you know, in some of those cases, those were the businesses that really struggled. And there wasn't much I could do to help those companies because I can't control what government policy is, um, nor can I control what their clients are going to pay them. Because if somebody's telling them you don't have to pay this bill right now, they're not going to choose to. And maybe for good reason. You know, there were a number of people that that were laid off due to not being able to work in restaurants or hotels or, you know, the entertainment industry. Those were the ones that were the biggest as far as being hit. Um, what we did see, though, were a number of other industries, manufacturing, construction, um, you know, food, once they were able to adapt, actually did quite well. Packaged goods did quite well. So right. vast majority of the companies actually saw their their income or revenue go up. And, you know, what we did was we took advantage of where those opportunities were at wow. and provided valuable services and, and valuable products to the people that needed them. That's great. Um, do you have any hard, fast do's or don'ts as a, uh, as a coach to a business? Oh gosh, loaded question. So I'm sure there's a lot of them. Um, you know, hard, fast do's or don'ts. We kind of talked about, uh, the family businesses. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, the challenge with the family business is we often want to include either our significant others or sons, daughters, cousins, aunts, uncles. You really have to be careful how you structure your company when you bring in any sort of blood relationship into the business. Because what if it doesn't work out? Makes for real uncomfortable Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners. I will tell you that. I love um, it. it can also lead to a lot bigger problems. Um, you know, because there are people, human nature. If we think we are owed something, we might do something or take certain actions that really are detrimental to the company as a whole. And we need to realize that. So. Um, just if you're, if you're going to bring a spouse on board, if you're going to bring, um, sons, daughters, family members on board, really lay out the expectations of what the role is, what the responsibilities will be, how they're involved in the company. I work with a number of family businesses, multi-generational companies, and of course, every generation wants to pass it off to the next one. Right. Well, you have to find a way to get that next generation involved and up to speed, which doesn't happen overnight. And we see nepotism happen. You know, it's the the founder builds the business, the the sibling or or the son or daughter uh, who then gets into the business saw what the founder went through, and they you know they also right. were there working on it, so they know what it's like. Usually, by that third generation, why most businesses fail is the third generation is never involved in it, so they just treat it as a bank, it's handed off to them, but they don't know how to run it, and they don't have the vision to grow it. So you really do have to look beyond those generations and, and what skill sets do you need to implement? And what I see many 
uh, good generational family businesses do is they send the kids off to work somewhere else for several years. Go cut your teeth at another company, learn how to do the job, build your skill sets and your talents. And then if it's good enough, let's talk about how we bring you back on board. And then you'll start out on the lowest rung and you'll work your way up. So it's not just a given position. Sure. And that's, you know, that's again a hard for a lot of family members because they want the best for their kids. So they want to bring them in and, and make sure that they're earning a good wage and whatnot. I'm um, so glad you brought up this. Yeah. Topic. Is we could have two podcasts on this, you know, and, you know, in most divorces and when there's a business, it's a closely family held business. And mm -hmm. there's a, very often there are lots of family members, whether it's siblings or a spouse or siblings and then one spouse. And there's so many interpersonal relationships and struggles and navigating. And just like you have a therapist at home, you need that, you know, that coach to, you know, to prime the muscle, so to speak in the office. Mm -hmm. I think that's, you provide a valuable, you know, uh, advice and tool to those in individuals in the business. Because a lot of times you, you, you can't, you need someone else, especially if the person that's going to be your typical support structure is the one who you're working with. And you really exactly. can't have everything with them. Yeah, uh -huh. you can't get away from it. If you have a spouse in the business, you know, there, there is no going home and, and just vegging out because each one of you are bringing home their own baggage. Right. And you've just got to realize that. So it might sound good because you're, you know, you're doubling up on income that you can take out of the business and, and set away as, you know, retirement or whatever it might be. But you do have to be very careful and how you handle that. And you, you brought up when we first started talking, you know, about how money impacts everything. And I would say, you know, one of the other issues that many business owners really need to look at is they need to understand their numbers. They need to know how their business works, how it makes money, where that money goes. I find a lot of business owners suffer from embezzlement because they put too much trust on a team member to pay the bills or, or handle the cash. And unfortunately, before they know it, all of a sudden, a lot of money has been siphoned out of the business. And I've, I've seen more than one business that's almost tanked because somebody came in and, you know, again, for whatever reason, they believe they were owed it and started taking money out of the business. It starts out a couple dollars here and then it's tens of dollars and it's hundreds of dollars. Uh, we had one situation where within a year, or well, that was only within three months, they had already siphoned about $60,000 out of the business. <sighs> and it was only because we were looking at the numbers and had seen that something wasn't right. Now, we couldn't put our fingers on it, and we had to bring in the accountants to start looking at it. And even the accountants, you know, based on how the business was structured, kind of explained away why there might be the difference in the numbers. It wasn't until a bank teller had caught this person, a female, bringing in a check for the business owner and depositing it in a bank account. And that triggered off a series of events. And then the forensic accounting came in and, and we found that this person, you know, had probably taken close to quarter to $300,000 out of the business over a period of six to eight years. And again, it started out as small stuff, 
But once the confidence build, they just take more and more and more. If nobody's going to catch them, they'll just keep going. And this happens a lot. I probably hear of, you know, easily just in the Wisconsin area, four to five embezzlement cases are brought up on the news almost, you know, every quarter. It, it's it's a very big problem because, again, we we either don't trust people or we put way too much trust in them. And usually when it comes to monetary things, it, it amazes me how we won't trust trust them to handle a certain system or, or how they handle sales. But when it comes to handling the money, ah, just go ahead, write the checks. I'm not going to worry about it. And it causes all sorts of issues. So uh, always keep track of the numbers. And the last part is build, build solid systems in your business. And that yeah. relates to handling the, whether it's handling the numbers or whether it's handling systems of process sales, all the steps that you have in place help with consistency and help create a better customer experience. It also helps train the next person that's coming in to do the job because you will have turnover. All businesses do. But if you have the right systems in place, it's so much easier and quicker to get that person up to speed sure. than if they just kind of have to shadow and fumble their way through it. And that's also what dissatisfies most business owners because then they never realize the full potential of the people they got. You know, you touched upon a lot of like some phrases in there and, you know, what I heard and what resonated really speaks to me is trust and communication and uh, a relationship is founded on that. And without trust and um, good communication, it's going to fall. And it's the same thing can be uh, said for business. And, you know, especially when you have, like you said, family, um, family all within the business, it's uh, exponentially important to be um, communicating properly and efficiently. And so everybody knows their role and expectations, everybody's expectations, and there's a, a level of trust. No, even if you're family, there sh there needs to you have to build trust. Exactly. Uh, and so I think that's really valuable advice. And it it sounds easy, but I think it, there's a lot of work that has to get involved and a commitment to working on it. Um, so let me ask you. Um, I just want to kind of pivot a little bit. Um, how'd you get involved in uh, business coaching? Uh the short story is I, I realized I couldn't work for anybody else anymore. Love it. <laughs> the long story is, uh, you know, I, I cut my teeth on, I would say, two major corporations and one smaller corporation in the middle. I ran uh, three, four-year tours of duty, if you will, where I really kind of learned about business operations, how to make things work. And I was quite successful at, at you know, building sales and, and making people more effective at what they did. And what I realized after going through a company where we had gone through two merger acquisitions in the period of three years, that um, one, I was tired of playing corporate politics. I wanted to get out of that. And two, I, I just wasn't happy working for other people. I didn't want people to control my destiny and say, well, if you want to be a VP in this company, you know, you're going to have to be here 20 or 30 years before you get that opportunity. Well, I don't want to wait 20 or 30 years. I want you to tell me what do I need to do to get there in a more reasonable Time frame. If you're telling me it's 20 to 30 years, I'm going to go go somewhere else. Um, the other thing I started to realize is what I was really good at was developing others. 
the reason that all my jobs lasted about four years is by the fourth year, I had built the team around me where I could step back and it could just run like a finely oiled machine. And, you know, I, I was still there. I was still involved, but I wasn't at a level where I could, you know, take the vision forward. I was just a component in a larger machine. So I could, I got it as far as I could on my own and I got it running smoothly, but there wasn't that next level or the next level was not someplace I wanted to go. One of the first companies I worked for, they were grooming me for a, a higher level position, either at corporate or a larger, larger store, but I didn't, didn't buy into the culture that I was working in. So to stay there would have meant sacrificing things that I wanted to accomplish personally, and also would have been a greater burden on my family life. And I was starting to recognize this already. And what I had recognized by the time I had gotten through my third tour of duty is that in order for me to really get the lifestyle I wanted to, I had to go out on my own and do it. Mm. And then I finally figured out what my talents were. I was able to apply those talents in a way that was, was able, A, to help others, and B, really to facilitate my own vehicle to success. And, and that's what led to the coaching side of things. Um, I'm very good at, from an operations side of things, picking things apart and putting them back together. I'm an I'm excellent problem solver that way. You combine that with the communication side of things, I'm able to get a lot done. Now I have to teach that skill to other leaders. And, and that's really what this is all about. Same. It's again, the, you know, the concepts are just, they, morph back and forth to the personal transition, putting pieces, you know, uh, back together. It's just really uh, so interchangeable. And I, I know that you have been happily married for uh, quite some time. And so um, can you share um, your wisdom to the audience, to some tips and pointers to how, uh, you know, things that, uh, whether that you've learned along the way in your relationship to make um, a relationship foster and grow. Sure. Um, yeah, we've been together now uh, for, oh, wow. Now you're starting to make me do math and I got to add up all the digits. It's been about 30 years since it's been since I met my wife. Uh, we've been married. It'll be 25 years this fall. And, uh, you know, what worked, I think we were different enough and still compatible. So th there's different needs that each of us have. Um, we both allow each other to have their own space. I think that's something that in any relationship, you, you, you need your time together and you also need your time apart. Um, Communication is huge. And that's one of the, the biggest issues, you know, that we've been talking about all day is uh, you have to be willing to talk through what's going on and you have to be, you know, transparent about maybe where you're stuck or where you're frustrated. And that's a lesson that I think we both had to learn over time. Uh, I would say, you know, I, I try to practice what I preach as much as possible, but like I said, human, human behavior gets in the way. And sometimes we, 
we do things to go against uh, the very things that we should be doing. And, and we're both been guilty of that. My wife would even admit it too, because I'll give her kind of the, the stink eye stare when she's, she starts going down that path and she gives me the eye roll, but you know, that's kind of our fun way of letting each other know when, when maybe, Hey, you know, change what you're doing, buck up your right. buttercup and, and fix right. it. Um, yeah. Every bit, every person is going to have challenges. Every f- relationship is going to have challenges. Being a business owner uh, only compounds that. I mean, there, there have been times in this business where it's been the high of highs, you know, money's coming in the door, everything's working perfectly. And I've taken a few risks that haven't panned out. And there was one time, you know, back in 2012, where it took a major hit, um, not only to the business, but to the relationship, because I was so stressed out. Um, I saw where the business was going, it wasn't going the right way. And I had to figure out how to turn it around. It took time to do that. And, uh, you know, when your business isn't going the way you want it to, there's a lot of stress that that then brings into the relationship. And fortunately, I have a, a very caring wife who uh, who supports me endlessly. I, I would also say that's an important point is that you need to support your significant other in whatever they choose to do. And uh, she was the catalyst by telling me, you know what, when you want to launch your own business, go ahead and do it. We'll figure it out from there. And she supported me along the way. And that's, you know, that's sometimes hard to do because people see, well, you're bringing in so much in salary. Why aren't you happy doing what you're doing? And, you know, I, there were times where I was making tons of money working for somebody else. That doesn't mean I was happy doing it. Sure. And, you know, long-term, if you're going to have a healthy, satisfied life, you have to find things that, that drive your passions that allow you uh, to have positive stress because we all have stress in our lives, but, the stress is good because the stress is about personal growth and professional growth. And to me, that's, that's really what we're striving for. We're not striving for stress. That's going to give us heart attacks or strokes. No kidding. So it's figuring out how to find that balance in there. That's great. Well, listen, this has been really awesome. Um, and, uh, invaluable information. Um, so Dan, if uh, a listener wants to get in touch with you, um, how can they reach you? You know, the best way to get a hold of me, uh, reach out to heydanwhatsnext.com. Sign up, get connected. Uh, I'm busy building kind of my own community of, of frustrated founders, if you will, and want to get uh, a number of people together. It's going to be a free community where we're able to talk back and forth and work through many of these challenges. So that's the best way to sign up. Um, you can always contact me by phone. So reach out to me at 608-467-0223. Um, I'll let you put the email in the comments because it's way too long here. But uh, sure. those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me if if you got a question or something. You can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm posting stuff every day there. So uh, look for my profile there and happy to help you in any way I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've got one last question. I ask all my guests. So um, I don't know if you know uh, this about me, but so I'm a sneaker guy and uh, I always uh, conclude my podcast asking the guest what their favorite sneaker is. (laughs) I wear a lot of Nikes and I've worn Nikes since, uh, oh gosh, since I was a grade schooler. I'm probably your typical old guy, leather, tennis shoe, basic Nike 
running shoe or cool. workout shoe. That's that's really what I live my life in. That's when I'm not barefoot because typically when I'm running around the house, I'm in socks. <laughs> I get it. Well, though uh, in Wisconsin, uh, be careful how how barefoot you are. There's probably <laughs> especially this but, week. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much. This has been great. Um, I hope to have you on again soon and, uh, enjoy the cold weather out there. I'll talk to you oh, soon. Thank you, Arthur. I appreciate it. All right. Be good.